This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from Dr. Coulter. undefiled and fading and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed we talked about all of that and then we got up to this little phrase by his power notice in verse 5 who by God's power are being guarded talking about us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Notice the phrase, by God's power, and notice the phrase, through faith. So in other words, God's power does not work for you as an individual apart from personal faith. God's power does not work apart from the personal faith of those being guarded. In other words, it's not automatic. But it's, by, but it's through and by their faith and our faith that the power of God works for us. You'll probably notice this the more you grow uh, in the Christian life and the more you're around Christian circles that you'll notice that the power of God works for others more than it works for you. Or you'll notice that the power of God is working for you more than it works for other people. And And it's based upon people believing God for his power in terms of his promises and blessings to be working in their lives. Faith, we are told, the just shall live by faith. So, Faith is a personal activity. I want to read from 1 Peter 1, 7, 9, and 21. We come up to these verses, but I want to read them ahead of time. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, your mind, your will, and your emotion, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So one's personal faith and trust in God is the means God uses to guard his people. Notice the word salvation there in verse 5. Salvation. This guarding is not for a temporal goal, but for the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Now remember when you're going through scriptures, that when it talks about the revelation of Christ, there are two basic revelations. Revelation of Christ in terms of him dying on the cross and providing salvation for you so you realize the revelation of Christ when you get born again. 
Then there's another revelation of Christ, which is talking about his coming. And we are, all of us, moving towards that revelation of his second coming in terms of realization. Notice it says, in the last time. So right now, we are living in the last of time. How long that will be, we don't know. Uh, So 2,000 years ago, when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, the last times began. A new age, if you will, began. And so the revelation of Jesus Christ on in the future when he comes back is a, a future possession of which we have part right now, the blessings of redemption in terms of his second coming. With salvation, it's important that you are renewed day by day. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4.16 would be the cross-reference there. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So my suggestion is that you put down, you write down the uh, cross-references will help you. The renewal of our souls, mind, will, and emotion, is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So the renewal of our mind is the word of God going in as we read it and meditate on it and speak it out of our mouths. Paul said to the Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God, of course, you know, is the word of God. That's how you know the will, anybody's will. You know anybody else's will by what they say. So you know God's will by what he says. This guarding of God by, for us does not mean freedom from persecution, and it does not mean freedom from testing. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 33 says, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Why? Because it's a broken world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So because Jesus was victorious, him on the inside of us means that we can be victorious. So not only do we have these blessings right now, but we look forward Uh, In the New Covenant, we look forward to the inheritance both here and now. Philippians chapter 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Remember, though, that that's not automatic. He's already pointed out that God's power is available to us as we believe him for it. My needs are met according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, according to my believing God for it. Now, let me give you a few other cross-references that you might write down. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, and Romans 8, 18. 
Okay, now the section we are going to go to now is uh, Roman numeral 2A2. Roman numeral 2A2. Joy in spite of suffering. Everybody there in your notes? Roman numeral 2A2. Joy in spite of suffering, verses 6 and 7. So let's look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. How is this sound? Can everybody hear okay? Everything good? Everybody good? I seem to be forcing my... But everything's fine, eh? Okay. Now verse 6 means this. See, Paul, uh, Peter said, in this. In what? In all that has been said up to verse 6, Peter is saying to rejoice. You're going to suffer a little bit. You're going to have some persecution. You're going to, but in all of everything, whether it's suffering persecution, whether it's realizing the blessings of God, you're supposed to rejoice. And this particular word, rejoice, was never used by secular Greek writers and which always in the New Testament sig- signifies a deep spiritual joy that it's so deep and so powerful that it's hard to express it. A rejoicing in God and what he has done. Now, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the cross-reference, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, the word spirit in most translations is capitalized, leaving us the impression that it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But fruit comes on the branches, and we are the branches. So it is the fruit of the recreated human spirit. So when you get saved, you get these implanted in you as seeds, and then you develop them. You develop joy, you develop peace, you develop patience, kindness, and so on. So Galatians 5.22, along with what Peter is saying in verse 6, <clears throat> tells us that we have this joy so we can decide by an act of our will to exercise it. Let me show you what, uh, in, in other contexts of the Bible, joy was exercised. In Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The joy, so Mary used joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.10b. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You feel a little weak? Start rejoicing. Start pulling up from on the inside of you joy unspeakable and full of glory. This joy is so magnanimous and so wonderful and so powerful that it can't be expressed. You can't define it. First Peter 1 8. Uh, First Peter um, 1 8, yeah. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with what? Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. There's a joy in believing. Acts 16.34. 
Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. That was the jailer, you remember, who got saved in Acts 16. And then there's a joy of salvation. And the psalmist David wanted to be renewed about this. He said, Psalm 51, 12, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now, in the New Covenant, New Testament, we know we have it. All you have to do is exercise it. The word rejoice there is present tense, meaning this, in all of this, you are continually rejoicing. In all of the inheritance, in all of the salvation, in all of the protection, in all of the suffering, in all of the persecution, in all of the rewards, in future heaven, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a constant rejoicing. Now, this rejoicing is not denial. I want your brains engaged. This rejoicing is not denial. You're not denying something. Because not all life, Christian life, is joyful. Now notice, though, now for a little while, in verse 6, now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials. So because trials are not all joy... You have to count it joy. Because all tests and persecutions that you experience in life, whether you cause them or somebody else, it's not all joy, but you have to count it or consider it or think of it as joy. So James says in the cross-reference, James 1, 2, and 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, it means brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have its and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now so you have a choice. You can lament, you can be upset. You can worry and fret. How is that working for you? Nothing do a bit of good in the world. Or you can consider it joy, allowing the joy of the Lord to come up, which is your strength, and you may be going through it, but the countenance of your face, and nobody will probably know that you're going through anything, because what are you doing? You're rejoicing. You're taking every, every, every moment to be able to praise God. You can't wait to get to church with the other saints of God to raise your hands and praise the Lord and smile real big and count it all joy. I've had to go into the pulpit like that. When, when, when one time in my ministry when a couple of families actually came against me, I was... They'd be sitting out in church, you know, like this. And just mad, you know, and, and, and wanted to come. I had to go into the pulpit and look at them and count it joy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You'd never know. You'd never know. And I would preach a message, and I would be referring to them. And I would go over to the other side, 
I would go over to the other side, the opposite side to where they were sitting, and I would point that way. I'd say, and Jesus said. Sure, you have to do that. You have to count it joy. If ministers of the gospel and pastors don't count it joy, they'll never make it. They'll never make it. They'll burn out. They'll flame out. Because you're dealing with people, bless everybody's darling heart and stupid head. You're, you're dealing with people. So you have to walk in love, but you also have to rejoice. And then you have to confess certain things. That no weapon formed against me prospers. But every weapon that rises against me falls in judgment. For this is the salvation and this is the future of the reward of the righteous. And I am the reward. And no weapon formed against me prospers. And eventually the weapon fizzles out. Why? Because you put on the armor of God. You love people, but you have to put on the armor and believe God. And all of a sudden they're no more. All right, now Paul says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The word grieved in the Greek there is an aorist tense, which means it's, it's, it's happening simultaneously to something else. So the grieving the, because of suffering and persecution and rejoicing are happening simultaneously. I was grieving over that, those two families. I was sorry that they were acting that way. I, I knew it wasn't good for them. I knew it was affecting the congregation. So I was grieving over it and praying over it. But I was also allowing the joy of the Lord to come up on the inside of me to give me strength to take me through the situation. The grieving and the rejoicing you'll find will always be happening at the same time. There's always something to bug you. There's always circumstances, always situations. But you have the power of God in the rejoicing to take you through. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And that means if he overcame, he's on the inside of me, I can overcome. Can you say amen to that? Grieving arises out of difficulties we experience or we encounter in the, in the broken world. But faith looks beyond the present difficulties and persecutions and trials to the promises of God for our deliverance. Now, Peter's going to demonstrate this in the second chapter. In, in, uh, in 1 Peter 2.24, he says, He himself bore our sins, talking about Jesus, in his own body, on the tree, that we died, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, by his wounds you have been healed. We look always forward to the manifestation of the promises of God, which covers our case that we're going through at the moment. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7 so that the testing or the trials, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, Peter is telling his readers and us, trials should not surprise us. We live in a broken world, and we have a person named Satan who is the God, small g, of this world. Well, I'm not getting much reaction there, so let's go over to 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Somebody read it. Anybody here? The God of this world. So Satan is the God, small g, of this world. And because he is, until Adam's lease runs out on this planet, because he is, we'll have tribulations from time to time. But we don't have to stay in them. We can overcome them. That's the whole key to, to what Peter is suggesting here apart from all the other subjects that he'll be dealing with, uh, that he's, he's telling us that we're... Now, don't, for, don't, don't forget that these people that, he write, that he's writing to in that little corner of Asia, in Turkey, that little corner there, these people were suffering great hardships. They had very little rights. They were under Roman occupation. But he was telling them, you can live victoriously in that situation. So we're not supposed to allow trials and tests to surprise us because we live in this broken world, but we can overcome by faith in God. Now, I differ a lot with, um, I guess you could say, with uh, preachers or Bible commentators uh, regarding this issue of trials and tests. And I think the reason that certain people think that God is causing it is because of their theological propensity regarding the sovereignty of God. In other words, that God is controlling everything and every action, everything that happens to you, God is involved in it and controlling it and so on. Well, if that's true, he's making a mess of it for sure. But I don't believe that God is because, I th- because of that scripture I gave you. Satan is the God of this world. We have a broken world. So things are not operating the way they should, like weather and so on. So I, I, I really believe uh, James chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. Let no one say when he is tempted or tested, I am being tempted or tested by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil or tested with evil, and he himself tests or tempts no one. Now, if words mean anything, 
That's got to mean something. No matter what else you've heard or read, this is a this is bringing the new covenant. This is bringing the new covenant into conclusion. We're now in the book of James. Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Jude. We're bringing this. We're bringing this written word to the new covenant to the conclusion. So. Let no one say when he's tempted to test, I'm being tempted tested by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted or tested when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now listen, with whom there is no variation. See, there's no variation in God, a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. No variation, nor shadow due to change. God is not causing bad stuff to happen to you. God is not causing you to be sick with diseases to try to teach you something. And Christians who believe that will actually go and try to get prayed for. If God is doing it, why be healed? Ask for more cancer to make you more mature. God's not doing this stuff. The stuff that comes to us in this life comes to us because there's a broken world, because we've got an adversary called the devil, and there are times when we make stupid decisions. And it's very, God is so, such a loving God that he can get us out of those stupid decisions. If, if you've dealt unwisely in the things of this world, and the things of life, then you can ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, I need your wisdom and a revelation of your wisdom. And, and God can actually make it up to you. I know it by experience. Notice this in verse 7. Though it perishes, though it be tested by fire. Fire, and it talks about gold. The gold and perish, though it be tested by fire. Gold is not destroyed by the fire. Neither does faith, uh, then, then the implication here, so faith cannot be destroyed by trials and tests. It's not destroyed. You have faith. God has given you faith. Uh, Romans 12.3 talks about, I don't have it on the screen, talks about all of us have faith. But all of us are not using it. We're thinking things from God are going to fall on us like ripe apple off a tree. Or if we pray hard enough. It doesn't happen like that. You've got to use your faith. If you're praying, you've got to pray the word so that you're praying actually the answer. There's no use of begging God. That's not the way it comes. You pray the Bible. You pray the word. So you're praying the answer. You're praying by faith. You're not wishing. You're not hoping. You actually have the answer before you get it. 
You have it before you get it. Whosoever shall say on this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, and not doubt in his heart, and believe those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and then you shall have them. When do you believe you receive it? Before you get it. I know that boggles the senses, but get it straight. That's the way it works. So faith cannot be destroyed by trials and tests. Faith remains. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, 13? So now faith, hope and love, abide, live on. These three, but the greatest of these is love. When you exercise your faith, it shines forth through the fiery tests to bring glory to God because you get the answer, you get the victory. All right, notice the phrase in verse 7, praise and glory, near the end there, praise and glory and honor at revelation of Jesus Christ. There is joy in knowing that Jesus will return And when he comes, he brings far more than the end to suffering. He brings rewards. We've got all kinds. We've got so much. We've got it made in the shade, folks. We've got present blessings and future rewards. Paul said it like this to Timothy. Cross-reference, 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all, not only to me, but, but for you, and to all who have loved his appearing. The troubles of life as we're looking forward to the glory of God and the manifestation of the glory of God in Jesus' return, the troubles of life pale into insignificance at the future revelation of the glory of God. First uh, cross-reference, Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. This future Hope. In this, in this future, we'll be casting our crowns of faith and righteousness at Christ's feet. Cross-reference, Revelation 4, 10, 11. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. We'll be praising him forever, folks, but it starts right now. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. In the new covenant, what would be a sacrifice of praise? What would be a sacrifice of praise? Sacrifice of praise is when you don't feel like it. 
In the Old Testament, the sacrifices couldn't call off the altar. They are dead. In the New Covenant, we can crawl off the altar. We can move away from. We need to have sacrifice of praise. You come into church on a Sunday morning, you feel like last year's bird's nest. You need to praise God all the more. You need to lift holy hands without wrath and doubting. Folks, you need to get your hands up when we're praising God. I said you need to get your hands up. You're arrested in his presence. You're committed to him. Most people stand like this all the time in church. Waiting for something. I don't know what they're waiting for. Get your hands up. Praise him. Magnify him. Don't worry about the person beside you. The Bible says many will see our praise and reverence him. See, you're, you're here at a church where the pastor is interested in reaching people far from God. He wants to create an atmosphere in this service where people will be able to bring their friends and also that other that unchristian people will not be upset by the type of service we run and not be trying to figure it out. But praise, they don't have to figure it out, they just need to watch us. Praise, many will see our praise and reverence him. If you're just standing there like this, they might think, well, you, they're not excited about a whole lot in here. Are you out there? you gone home. <laughs> no. Sacrifice of praise is when you don't feel like doing it. And you don't feel like doing it. Many, many of you right here tonight don't feel like you've had a hard day. No doubt about it, absolutely. You've worked hard. Uh, you're to be commended for being here. And God sees it, actually. You got up 4 o'clock in the morning, probably. 5 o'clock to get to work. You came here tonight, probably didn't, some of you didn't even have supper. That's a sacrifice. That's a praise unto God. You're, con- you're concerned. You want to know the Word of God. You want to study the Word of God. You want to renew your mind. God sees it. That should make you rejoice. God sees me. Roman numeral 2A3. Inexpressible joy. Inexpressible joy. See, it's the, it's, it's the all, all of these asides, you know, make it longer and longer. My wife said, you, you just cut off the asides. Express, ex, inexpressible joy in knowing Christ himself. Verses 8 and 9. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The beginning of this verse is an amazing statement of the nature of the Christian life. 
love him. him. You love him, agape. The word love in the present tense indicates a continual or regular activity of love for Jesus Christ. Even though we have never seen him, we love him. Though now you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice. But joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This implies a personal daily relationship with the ascended Lord Jesus through prayer and worship. Also meditating on the written words of scripture. Look at 1 Peter 2, 2-3, cross-reference. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is what you're doing tonight by being here. Like newborn infants, you long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into the things of God, into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word believe there means, it's pistuo, means to, to trust your whole self or to rest one's confidence in God, that you're depending upon him. When the word believe is followed by in, in, or in the Greek, it carries with it the nuance of into, as somehow as if our personal faith is going into the Lord Jesus and remaining there personal involvement and devotion in Christ in the act of believing, resting oneself in Christ. The rejoicing, this rejoicing is inexpressible. It's unutterable. It's exalted joy, a joy so profound that it's beyond the power of words to express. And this joy... Um, exacerbates itself when the promises are actually actualized, when the promises are realized. You're you're rejoicing with this joy before you ever see the promises. You're rejoicing in Jesus and you have not seen him before you ever see him. You're rejoicing in the Lord before the promises are ever manifested. But when they're manifested, you, you can't hold it down. Like... I was rejoicing and said for years, when we turn the key, we'll be debt free. There are times when it looked exactly the opposite. One time I went out behind the church and I started dancing and praising God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I just wanted the devil to see that I wasn't going to get down because of situations and circumstances. But I'll tell you, when we, when we, when they, my son took the picture of me uh, turning the key and debt free. I could hardly stand it. I could hardly stand it. I cried. I laughed. I rejoiced. I praised God. I couldn't, I I was just, all I could do was not talk in tongues, so I decided to do it. I thought, well, there's too many people standing around here, so I better not do it. But there was so much joy that I couldn't contain it. And that's like any other time. You rejoice 
when you're believing God and the promises haven't been manifested, you rejoice because you know it's coming. But when it comes, and you know, it, it's, it's, you can't express it. Uh, songwriters tried to express it. You know the old hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glory of my God and King, and the triumph of His grace. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glory of my God and King, the triumph of His grace. And you hear the organ. <laughs> Songwriters try to express it. It's hard to do. It's inexpressible. First Peter 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Before I go on, faith is not to be exalted. Faith is not to be praised. Faith is to be used. Faith is to be used. You exalt Jesus. You rejoice in Jesus. Faith is to be used. Faith is not to be exalted, not to be given credence. You don't want somebody to praise you because of your faith. Praise is to be used and to give glory to God. Joy filled with glory. There's the, at the end of that scripture. It's a joy that's filled with glory. A joy infused with heavenly splendor. The glory of God is like the heaviness of God. The word glory, kabod in the Greek, in, in Hebrew, kabod. The heaviness, the presence of God. A, a foretaste of the glory of heaven. See, we got, we got a foretaste of what's going to happen in heaven expressed now in fellowship with the unseen Christ. So we go now to 1 Peter 1.9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is not a new sentence, but a continuation of verse 8, the rejoicing and joy of your salvation. I think there's two applications I would want to make here. One is, salvation of your souls is an ongoing process as we meditate in the word of God, our soul is not our spirit. Remember that you are a spirit being that has a soul, mind, will, and emotion, and lives in a body. Spirit, soul, body. First Thessalonians 5 teaches that. You're a spirit being. That spirit being has a soul, mind, will, and emotion operating through your brain. And you live in a body. So the salvation of your souls is an ongoing process as we meditate in the Word of God. Some people never get their soul really renewed. They never get their soul really saved. Their spirit is saved. They're on their way to heaven. But they never get their soul saved. They never get their soul, their mind, will, and emotion changed from the old way of living to the new way of living. There's an old man, there's an old way of living, there's a behavior before you were saved, and there's a behavior after you're saved. Some people never get quite there. 
Nobody would ever know that they're saved. Nobody would ever know that they're different. So there's an application here. Romans 12, 1 and 2 that I read before, or James 1, 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. And James is talking to Christians. He says, you want your soul saved. You get saved by the word. So you start living up to the character of God. There are moral absolutes in the universe. And the moral absolutes have to do with God's character. So he, we want to start to affect that character in ourselves. And we're going to talk more about that as we go along in this class. The second application I would want to make there in verse 9 is we do not realize the totality of our salvation until heaven. A full realization of the promises of God where there is no more pain that you have to deal with, no more suffering that you have to deal with, and no more crying. Isn't that going to be someday? Well, we look forward to it. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We do, however, enjoy a great measure of blessing, which gives us great joy in rejoicing in Christ. When Christ came the first time, we gained his kingdom on the inside of us. He came, died on the cross, shed his blood, rose from dead, sits on the right hand of the Father. And when we accept him, the kingdom comes inside of us. God's way of doing things. That's what the kingdom of God is. God's way of doing things. So God's way of doing things comes on the inside of us. When he comes again, which we're looking for, this revelation of Christ, the kingdom is realized not just on the inside, but it's realized in all of society because all of society will be being transformed into the kingdom of God. So the goal of our faith or the outcome of our faith is both present and future. So, it can be said that Christians live in the future that is already present. We live in the future, looking forward to that wonderful day, live in the future that is already present. We have a foretaste of glory divine. We have a foretaste of his presence. You have the glory of God in you. That's why you can go into his presence. People that don't have the glory of God can't go into his presence. They don't, they don't have that glory on the inside of them. Praise and worship. The name of Jesus takes us right into the presence of God. Because we have the blood of Christ applied to us. The glory of Christ is on the inside. Remember the Old Testament? Priests who didn't get the blood sort of put where it was supposed to be put, they went into the presence of God and died. All right? Now the presence of God is on the inside of us, and because it's on the inside of us, experientially, positionally, we can go right into the presence of God. The name of Jesus, the glory of God's on the inside of us. We can go into glory, no problem. There are times in the New Covenant when sometimes the glory of God is manifested so strongly that it's hard to stand up. 
I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's, it's something else. You, you, just, you, get, you get lost in his presence. Sometimes it seems like, like it was two minutes. You look at your watch and it's like an hour and a half. Everything seems to be suspended. You're experiencing a great manifestation of the glory of God. So it can be said then that Christians live in a future that is already present, not just in imagination or expectation, but in realization that the reality of Christ's presence is a real thing manifested through us by the Holy Spirit. Every Christian, every Christian has the Holy Spirit on the inside of him and her. The glory of God. So this whole process of rejoicing that Peter keeps coming back to all the time is a, is a growing situation, is growing from faith to faith. Notice that rejoicing and faith and all of those things go together in Paul's message here to us. Romans 1.17 says, uh, cross-reference, so it is, so in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As we continue to believe, this this happens, continually rejoicing because of the personal trust in him. It's a day-by-day faith, a continual growth towards maturity. Okay, we're going now to 2A4. 2A4, prophets and angels amazed at the glory of salvation. God's promises of hope are fulfilled in Christ. So this is one section, Romans 10 through 12. I'm going to uh, uh, deal with it together. Because in the light of what has been said, everything up to now, verse 10, in light of what's been said and written, one could say this, that the purpose of this paragraph in verses 10 through 12, is to show that the spiritual blessings we now have are greater than anything the Old Testament prophets or people envisaged, prophets or angels, nobody experienced what we experience. We're unique in the annals of salvation history. The Germans have a great word for salvation history, Heilsgeschichte. In the annals of Heilsgeschichte, salvation history, there is nobody like you, the redeemed of the Lord. So we'll take a break. I can hear music. Now, was it just the angels singing, or did they actually hear the music? Okay, we'll take uh, about, we'll take now till eight o'clock. Got six minutes or so. So in verses 10 through 12, the prophets and angels are amazed at the glory of our salvation because they don't understand it. Verses 10 through 12 should be understood in connection with verse 9 regarding salvation. So it starts out concerning this salvation. It's the salvation of grace in the new covenant, which is far superior than the old covenant. So the prophets in this, this, did we read 10 to 12 together? No, we didn't. Let's read it. 
Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you or us in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Now let me unpack that because that's a whole scenario there. So the prophet searched and inquired about this salvation. It was, it was boggling their mind in the Old Testament. They were prophesying these things called grace. There, was be, there would be a salvation that had nothing to do with doing anything. In the law, they had to fulfill, they had to do stuff to fulfill the law, which they couldn't do anyway. So there's no more doing in this grace, but something done for us in Christ of which we just accept. This is salvation. And it's applied by the Holy Spirit. So it transforms us as we accepted into the righteousness of God in Christ. Now this boggles the mind of the Old Testament prophets. No more doing, but something done. Then he got this word searched. Grace was to be yours. They searched and inquired into it. The word searched in the Greek language does not mean the mere pondering or wondering about it. It implies effort. It implies looking into something with their whole being. Hebrews 11.6, And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Do you actually believe that? That he rewards those who diligently seek him. Psalm 119.94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. It is an active, deep, deeply intensified searching. Then there's another word in here, searched and inquired. This word only occurs here in the New Testament. It has the same implication. Active, intense effort. Looking for something or someone, something like the psalmist in Psalm 119, 2 and 34. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Not just asking questions, but searching to find out. So in verse 11, they were looking through the scriptures they were looking also through their own prophecies. The spirit, that, that term, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating. They were trying to find out this salvation through grace by faith in Christ. They were learning that their prophecies, in verse 12, were serving not themselves, but for the readers or they're for us. These prophecies were not for them, but were for us. Look at that term in, in verse 12 there. It says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but 
you in the things they have been now announcing. So the relevance for the readers and the relevance for us is they were looking forward to like the old, we're looking forward to like the Old Testament saints. We're looking forward to something. We're always looking forward to something. We're looking forward to the promises of God being manifested now. We're looking forward to the future. Hebrews 11.3. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So, this whole paragraph here, the prophecies of the Old Testament, were written primarily for the benefit of us. Romans 15.14, or Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Notice in verse 12, it says, the things that have been announced to you through those who preached the good news. Uh, You see the... um, uh, the, the temperature gauge up on that pole there behind you. If you just if you just put it up a bit now, I don't want to get it too cold. Put it up to 72 or something, 73. I don't want people, thanks. I don't want people, the ladies start to shiver now. The content of the gospel was a declaration of the extension of these prophecies and by announcement found their fulfillment in Christ Jesus and in the establishment of his church. We are now the people of God. So the New Testament readers reading this text, especially those who are Jewish Christians, recognize that you don't become a person of God by nationality anymore, become a person of God by accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, become part of his family or a chosen race, if you will, through Jesus Christ. So it's Jews and Gentiles together that make the body of Christ or that makes the church or it makes the chosen race. We are a new creation. We are a new species of being, the Greek says. That new species of being is Jews and Gentiles coming together in Christ Jesus, if we accept him as Savior and Lord. John 1, 11 and 13 speaks about this. Jesus came to his own, Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. But to many who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you become a chosen generation, not by nationality, but by the blood of Jesus being applied to your life. So the new people of God are who? The new people of God are you. The new people of God are the church of Jesus Christ. The power behind the proclamation is the Holy Spirit, who is sent from heaven. And, we, and Acts 1.8 tells you that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, in uh, verse 12, at the end it says, uh, 
things into which the angels long to look. Long to look. That word means uh, somebody peeking into something from a vantage point of an outsider. The angels do not participate in this redemption. The angels are never saved by faith. The angels are never saved by the blood of Jesus. The angels are supposed to be used by you. Let's see if this works. You know that you're supposed to do something about your angels? That doesn't work, so I have to go to the old-fashioned method. (laughs) I'm going to beat this yet. Oh, there it comes, right? Anyway, I'm already here now, so. So... Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Let's talk about Jesus. Here now. Are they not all ministering spirits, angels, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? They minister for those. They minister for us. They minister for us. We're not emphasizing to us there. We're emphasizing that they minister for us. Angels are to minister for us. So the question is, have you ever sent out your angels to do something for you? Now, now then it goes on to say, this is a revelation, and you could forget such things salvation. You could forget it. You could read that little scripture and just forget it and not do it. I think I'll just let that sink in for a second or two. Sent forth to minister for the heirs of salvation. So you would send them forth in the name of Jesus. Ministering spirits go and cause whatever. Go and cause the money to come. Now, when we, when Esther and I first came back to Mississauga, <clears throat> I didn't want to come back in the first place. So I said to the Lord, I didn't want to come anyway. So if you can't make this work, then I'm going to go all over the world telling me you didn't work it. So I looked out in the congregation, all the people that God was sending me, their cars were held together with bailing wire. And it was the funniest thing in the world. People started to join the church, didn't even have a job. The majority of the people didn't have a job at one point in time. So I couldn't rely on that group to give me money. So I could say, well, where is this money going to come from? 
I just sent out the angels. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm sending out the angels. Now, angels, go and cause the money to come in Jesus' name. Right? And on Sunday morning, now, remember that upstairs, they had that little section upstairs in the old building was all cement floor. And you know what cement does? It has that cement dust. And so that's where the kids were going. That was, the, 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 that was where the, the little babies were going to be. So we wouldn't let the babies up for the first little while. We'd keep them downstairs. So at first, everybody was crying. Everybody's running around. And I said, so I want to have the babies upstairs so the parents can enjoy a thing. So I went home one day after church, and the people that were counting the money phoned me and said, Pastor, are you sitting down? I said, no, I'm not sitting down. Why? Well, you need to sit down. I said, no, I'm not standing. What do you want? What's the problem? I felt I felt, what's the problem, you know? They said, you know what the offering was this morning? Um, I remember, like, there's 15, 20 people. What's the offering? He said 76000 $76,000. The next week, I gave a bunch of the ladies some money, and they went out and got a nice little rug for the nursery and got some toys for the kids, rugged the other area of the nursery, did all kinds of stuff, and our Sunday school was up and running, bless God. Now, I'm, just telling you those, I'm just telling you those kind of experiences. I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on Jesus. I'm bragging on the word of God. These ministering spirits sent forth. But you've got to believe it. You can't go home and just do it tonight. Because you're just doing it because the pastor did it, right? And when I first tried it, it didn't work either. <laughs> because I wasn't believing it. I was just doing it because somebody else said they did it, right? You've got to meditate on the word of God. Get it down on the inside of you till you know that you know that you know that you know that you know. And before you ever do it, you know it's going to come to pass. And then you're not worried about time. You're not worried about time. How long is it going to take? When he does it, he'll do it right. It'll be all over. I get so excited about this that I can hardly stand it sometimes. But... I'll continue on without doing any more asides tonight. (laughs) This whole paragraph here in verse 10 through 12 carries a strong flavor and influence of the newness and excellence of the church age. We live in a great time of grace and benefit of the cross of Christ appropriated by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are the recipients of God's greatest blessings in the great drama of salvation history through Jesus Christ, the cross, the resurrection, the seating in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Christ being the head of the church, him living on the inside of us. We positionally sit with him in heavenly places, although experientially we're down here. The privilege to have all at our disposal the name of Jesus, which is above every name, and all power and authority. And I told you last week, that we need to graduate into levels of the levels of Christian faith. We need to hang around the cross, yes, because in the cross of Christ I glory, that's where it all took place. But I must go beyond that. I must go to Pentecost. 
God will never make you have a prayer language that's all speaking in tongues. He's not going to do it. He's a perfect gentleman. Don't worry about it. You're going to go to heaven anyway if you don't want it. But if you want it, it's available. So we go from the cross to Pentecost. Then we sit down at the table. You got to go to the table. Lord, it's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture, leads me beside the waters, throws my soul, leads me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Near the walks of the bell, the shadow of death, if you're new, will prepare the table before me in the presence. Prepares a table before me in the presence of your enemy. The devil is right there trying to distract you. But on the table, there is a bowl of blessing, a bowl of wisdom, a bowl of finances, a bowl of healing. Whatever you want from God, it's there. Start enjoying the blessings of God. Come up to the table. And then move towards authority. You have authority in the name of Jesus. Something's bugging you, take authority over it. Bind it up in the name of Jesus. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. God backs you up. Take authority over stuff that's bugging you. You don't have to put up with it. We put up with too much stuff when we've got the name of Jesus and authority on the inside of us. Meditate on these things. Roman numeral 2B, 1. Desire the beauty of being like a holy God. That almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? Well, verses 13 and 16 is going to tell you that this is important. Verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you see therefore, you have to figure out what it's there for. Therefore has something to do with before. So therefore, therefore what? Refers to all the blessings that he's already explained in, in verses 3 to 12. We possess these blessings, and therefore, because we possess these blessings, because we, po- we possess the authority, because we possess all of this stuff in Christ, we are to think and act in a certain way. Now, always remember that behavior doesn't save you. But because we have all these blessings, we are to think and act a certain way, prepare your minds and actions for and being sober-minded. Now, the King James has really a, 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 a literal uh, translation of the Greek. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded. This phrase, girding up the loins of your mind, is not understood by us in the Western world, but it's the long skirt, the long robes that people wore. You pull it up underneath you, in between your legs, wrap it around you so you can take off And you're preparing for action, preparing for strenuous activity. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. The idea admonishes us to be ready to see God work and to respond to him with instant obedience. Now listen carefully about this. Here we're going to get now into activity and behavior. God is interested in our obedience. 
You're interested in God ministering to you. You're interested in God bringing all the blessings to you. But are you interested in being obedient to him? See, it's a question. Go talk to that person about Jesus. There's a lady over there in the, in the lettuce department in the supermarket, and she's dying of cancer. I want you to go over there and tell her that you're a born-again Christian, and if you lay hands on the sick, they recover. Going to do that? Oh, this prompting. You, somebody's name comes up to you that you haven't thought about for years. What do you think that's all about? Well, you start praying for the person. Obedience. Obedience by the Spirit. Obedience by the Word of God. There's things written down that we're going to have to do. So we want, he wants us to respond in obedience. Luke 12, 35 says, uh, cross-reference, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Now let me give you a side point about grace. Lots being said about grace these days. Receiving God's grace, that's God's unmerited favor, is not to give you a license to do what you want. Remembering that behavior doesn't save you. Behavior doesn't save you, but... We're to be ready to do what God wants. <laughs> so it's not doing whatever you want to do when you want to do it. But grace, that unmerited favor or the ability of God, that's, grace has like two contexts to it, the favor and the ability of God. The ability of God to be ready to obey, to ready to do. Grace doesn't mean just do every old thing. That's why Paul had to write to the Romans and say, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. There's an obedience. There's a behavior that God is asking us to fulfill. So gird up the loins of your mind or be, or, or be sober-minded means be ready to do what God wants you to do. Be obedient to God. Spiritual alertness. With the endowment of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant, we are recipients of spiritual alertness by God's power working on the inside of us if we yield to it. See, we have it on the inside of us. Like Paul is talking about this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your heart fully on the grace of God that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're preparing our hearts. We're spiritually alert. If we yield, be sober. It's not talking about physical intoxication or drunkenness. The contrast is not intoxication. It's sober-minded. has to do with attitudes of the mind. Mental intoxication. Caution. Not to let your mind wander into mental intoxication, into mental laziness in, that lulls Christians into sin through carelessness. Peter is suggesting that Christians many times lose their concentration, their mental intoxication with the things of this world. Colossians 3, 2-3. 
Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That was the one thing that I had to battle with, I'm telling you. Because that is true about anything. Set your, if you've got a problem, you can set your mind on the problem and it becomes bigger than God himself. So when we had this major debt with a building that was not even built that I took over, with about 20 or 30 people left if we had a good Sunday, and the bill on the month was $25,000 a month. And we were going behind every, every month $20,000. The bank was going to foreclose. I said, give me a break. Give me time. I just took over. That thing became bigger than God itself. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm trying to sell the place. I'm trying to sell the five acres. Couldn't even sell it. The appraisal on the building, the land was less than what we owed. What are you going to do? Man, I fought that thing. I mean, it's, it, was, it was bigger than, than God himself. I mean, they were going to put a, a, a power of sale sign on the, on the lawn. I said, don't do that. That's a bad testimony. We've got to have people. You've got to give me time for people to come. I'm begging people. And the building, it became, became bigger than God. <laughs> Set your minds on things above? Oh, yeah, right. I don't want to hear that message. You don't know what I'm going through. Haven't we said that? Somebody tries to help you? Well, you don't know. Set your minds on things that are above. I, man, I worked at that. I'm not kidding. Not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I would stop right there. For you have died. I said, I'm going to die. No, I mean die to your flesh. I said one day, I thought, I drew a line in, at, in, in my office. I said, I'm crossing this line. I said, Lord, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I'm not going to worry about it. And I crossed that line. And before I got home, I crossed back over. <laughs> it was fun and games. So look, I'm not any different than any one of y'all. But I had to work in it. I had to work on that. I had to see that, that God, if, if you have to, and, and God came on me when I was in Toronto in a, in a profound way to come back to take this church. And I'll tell you, if I hadn't had that, I'd have backed, my, I'd have backed a U-Haul truck up to my apartment, put my two kids in the front, my wife in the back, in the trunk with the, with the furniture. No, just, just kidding. <laughs> And, and I'd have been gone, and the next Sunday, people would be saying, where's Pastor Calder? Nobody knows where he is. Gone. But because he came on me, I knew he wanted me to do this. So, okay, you take over. So this had to, I, that my, I had to get my mind set on him. And in the midst of the trial, folks, don't feel bad if you miss it. 
in the middle of the trial, don't condemn yourself if you miss it because it's easily done. God cares about you. He loves you. He, he understands. He understands. You know, isn't it interesting that the Bible says that Jesus understands? He took on everything. He understands us. He's a high priest who understands us. The only thing he didn't do that we have done is sin. But he experienced the whole thing. He experienced people betraying him who was in the inner circle. And if you've ever been betrayed, it's a hurtful experience. He understands. He understands people stealing from him. He had a treasurer in his, in his evangelistic association was stealing money. Set your minds on things above in the midst of the problem. You know, apart from that, there are things, there are dangers in things that are inherently good. Career, possessions, recreation, reputation, friendship, scholarship, author, authority, all kinds of things, all good things. But if you take them out of their place and put them over setting your minds on things above, they can become God themselves. As I tell my grandchildren, you need to have a, an education, you have a career, absolutely, look after yourself. But take, make sure that every day you read Proverbs. Every day you read something about the wisdom of God. One proverb a day, every, every day you get through the Proverbs for the month. The next part, I got a quitsy, I'm over my time. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.